0: I don't sell people on permaculture. I don't sell people on natives. I'm not pushy. I, I don't tell anybody they need to do this. If what doesn't work is when you tell somebody what they need to do. Um, so if you go to a house and they have a very traditional lawn and everything's you know, cut and, and manicured and all that, yeah, that's not my customer. I'm not going to spend any time here telling you what you should be doing or anything like that. So I don't know if that, that's something that that we learned kind of through my business partner. You know, when we started the companies, he was, and and still is very much a people pleaser. And so he will go, he will do above and beyond for his customers. If they ask, he'll do things way outside of his scope of work. Uh, to please a customer and in in my experience what i have found is that the best way for me to please a customer is to stay within inside my scope of work stay within what i can do and what i can do efficiently and what i can do well
1: this is the farm hop life podcast a traveling homestead family i'm matt derosier on the Farm Hop Life podcast, we learn what it takes to grow your own food from everyday people. Could be a college student grows tomatoes and salad greens on their apartment patio, a former VP of marketing for Del Taco now raising cattle in Montana, or someone who hasn't had a homestead in over 10 years. This show is aimed at teaching you what it takes to make homesteading work for you. That we all make mistakes, we all have bad days, but we can reach out and help one another thrive and giving you the confidence needed to go feed yourself. So you say you call yourself a resource manager. Is that just kind of like a, like a broad term to, to what does that, what does that mean exactly?
0: Well, I guess that's a term maybe that I came up with. Um, So resource manager, what I started looking at that came from when I was a trash man and I've been a trash man my whole life. That's what my parents did when I was growing up. They owned two trash companies. So, hanging off the back of trash trucks since I was 12 years old. Um, And then I started my own company right in my hometown when I was, I guess, 23 um, and had that company for nine years, but I'm a big environmentalist and I wanted to do more than just landfill the stuff. And what I realized was I was really a hauling company. I was not even a trash man. I was not responsible for the trash. I didn't actually do anything with it. I, I just simply put it in the truck, took it to the dump, right? Opened the hopper, pushed it out, and went and picked up more. So I was never, I never did anything with it. And then I was like, I'm just a hauling company. I, I go to an address, I do something, and then I go to a different address. Like I could right. have dump trucks. Um, and so when I I realized that. What I wanted to do was look at these resources and take responsibility for them. And I realized that the what I was hauling in my trash trucks was the resources of my community, but they weren't being managed right. And that, that basically most of the trash is not actually trash, that they are unwanted resources at the location that they're at. And so I just started looking at trash differently and saying, well, wait a minute. The, these are these are our resources. Most of this isn't trash. Um, it's packaging waste or somebody bought something new, right? So they got to get rid of the old stuff. I can't tell you how many like couches and furniture that we would take and throw it away just because they got a new one. Um, right. And... And, and right. And so you do that enough and you're like, wait a minute, I'm first off, I'm not a trash man. None of this is even trash. And and so I just started looking at it as the resources that it was and then trying to say, well, I don't want to just haul it. I want to be responsible for it. I want to find the best things we should be doing for this. How can I put this back into the front side of our resource loop like nature does? And and so that's just kind of what came through all of those thoughts and all of those realizations that I just wanted to look at this problem completely
1: different. Are you saying like, like trash is just material that's not utilized?
0: Yeah. So for instance, let's take a water bottle, right? That's something that everybody's familiar with. An empty water bottle is trash, but to me, it's just an empty water bottle. You fill it up again, people will pay for it. So how is, a, how is a container lacking a product waste? It seems like the only thing that that is, is just a container that needs something to be put back in it. Right. You know, there was a bottling company, right? A water company literally bought empty bottles. So just because it's now went through a consumer now all of a sudden it's trash well to me it just needs to get put back in to the front side of that system you fill that bottle back up with water again and now you have a valuable item and the same with a couch people throw it away and call it trash because there's nobody else that'll come get it the only person that comes to your house and gets stuff is the trash man so you set it out with the trash
1: Do you have a bunch of rentals that you need to furnish or something (laughs) to put put all those couches somewhere?
0: No, we we did solve that problem for a little while. Uh, I actually opened uh, what ended up just being called a free store that everything that was reusable, um, we ended up calling it hand-to-hand recycling meaning that in your hand it's trash but all we have to do is put it in somebody else's hand for it to be considered a blessing and so we would still charge the customers to come and pick up the furniture and the couches and knickknacks, or do the cleanups and clean and things that they would have us do but i'd say hey listen we have this recycling store if you have anything that anyone else could use set that aside differently we will use a pickup truck Come get that, and then we'll bring it back to our store. So the customer that was getting rid of it still paid for the hauling and the expense of it. But then we brought it back to our shop, and we just opened that up to the public. If we have it and you want it, you take it. It's yours. Don't even pay us. Take it away. And so what that happened? helped. No. Go ahead. Uh, so that helped divert a lot of waste you know, from the landfill and, and really helped a lot of people look at the waste stream differently
1: what happened to that program? It sounded like it's not, it's not around anymore.
0: It's not. Um, when COVID happened and you know, everything like had to be closed, that was uh, something that I closed. I still continued my trash business, uh, through COVID times, but I kind of seen the writing on the wall and was really being drawn to permaculture and was like, I can't make the changes I want to make in the trash business, even though I have these efforts, even though we have the free store. Um, and so I decided to sell my trash business. And so oh, that's what I did. Nice. So I did that in 2021, uh, to pursue, um, basically permaculture and education full time.
1: So a couple of questions about the trash business. How yeah. much is one of those garbage trucks? Like those have got to well, be like a quarter of a million dollars, right? You, you can spend more than that if you want to. Yeah. What is does it drive itself and like pick up the trash all on its own? Not Just yet. Put in, like the route.
0: Yeah. Um, soon. I think I think that that will absolutely be what happens soon. Um, and so you can get a truck. So there's kind of three different styles of trucks. There's, there's more than that, but there's three main ones that most people may be familiar with. So you have a rear load trash truck and that has the hopper on the back. It's got a sweet blade on it. And that's the most common and most versatile trash truck. That is really your Swiss army knives of trash trucks. It can do your residential customers. Um, So any like manual loading that you have to do by hand, it will accept that. It will also um, is semi-automated, meaning that it has a cart tipper on the back of the truck. So your like normal 90 gallon trash cans or the 60 gallon trash cans, you can wheel those up to the, truck and it's got a little tipper on it you hit a lever and it dumps the can into the hopper and brings it back down for you and then also those those trucks can do dumpsters um, and and sure. things too
1: yeah. i got the forks in the
0: front and go over the top and so though that's called a front load truck oh okay right so the rear load goes everything's in the back everything gets loaded in the back the front load everything gets loaded in the front the front load has the forks on the front it can only do dumpsters. Okay. It can't do it. Can't do residential customers. It can't do your bulk pickups. It can only do those dumpsters. Um, and so those trucks are more expensive, and they are a lot safer, um, but they are not as versatile as a rear load truck. And then the other option that most people are probably familiar with would be the automated truck, which is a side load.
1: It that has like the arm up, that comes down goes up the side and dumps it in the mm-hmm. over the over the top over the top rail. Yep, yep. Gotcha. And
0: so, so that truck is your residential um, specialty truck.
1: Sure, that's probably so the that most one common. can't do the rear load and the residential one are probably what people see the most. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then now they do have some attachments that are getting really good that you can put on a front load truck to where you can actually do residential trash cans. Um, hmm. And I have to say that by by the time I exited the industry, um, that, that was probably my goal was to move into that route, to move to the front load with a front automated- um, Pick up
1: like six at a time or something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but well it ends up with like a little dumpster on the front with an arm that sticks out to the side. So you carry around this dumpster hmm. on the front and then you can put, you know, five or six trash cans in it and then when it gets full you run it up and and dump it.
1: Oh. Huh. Um the hopper for the hopper.
0: Exactly. That's exactly. Funny. But yeah, but those if like that setup you're going to be looking at about I mean this was in 2021, which I mean prices were very high in in 21. Um but you're at three, three fifty.
1: Holy smokes. So, um, so I heard recently that waste management has a problem that like the company waste management,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, uh, they can hire somebody to work in their office with like a master's degree, no problem for 65,000 a year, but they can't, they're struggling to hire, uh, Truck drivers for like ninety thousand dollars a year. Is that true?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's been that's going to be a huge shortage next few years. Holy
1: there, smokes!
0: And there has been. This has been a problem for a long time, and there's a few reasons why. I and I can explain that to you if you want me to.
1: Yeah, yeah. It. Um,
0: okay, so we have basically two options, or, or three, three, two to three things that are causing this problem. Um. One of the biggest problems is that there's not enough CDL drivers for the amount of positions open. Nobody's going around to high school kids and telling them to go get their CDL and become a trash man. Sure. Very specifically, they're telling them the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Go to college, get a four-year degree, get in debt to make 60000 a year do not under any circumstances go to work this summer making $90,000 a year being a trash man. And so that's one of the big things that the teenagers, you know, in the next generation are being told do not do this job. Um, so that's, that's a really big, you know, problem. Secondly, one of the issues is in the waste industry, there's, it's always been a struggle to get enough drivers for what we have to do. In most industries, when somebody's certified or has the license, there's not that much variation, maybe changes in companies and that stuff, but there's not too many different ways to like say use a nursing degree, right? Or if you're a a coder, like a computer programmer, there's not too many different things you can do. You either use your code, teach somebody else how to code, you know, or whatever. When you have a CDL, you're driving, but there's different classifications to that. Mm-hmm. And what you end up having is that people that are willing to work and get their CDL, well, they're gonna go over-the-road truckers because you make way more money doing that.
1: Sure. Yep. And I so the, see
0: that. and so, like the most motivated, dedicated, committed CDL drivers. Are driving semis over the road. Um, and they're coming home once a week, once every few weeks at that. But they're making the most amount of money. Trash guys that are home every day, they're making maybe half of the money of the over the road guys. And so you have to find a guy right, or, or a woman that values being home but is still willing to carry the license, is still yeah. willing to have the issue, you know, and go through the, the struggles of it and have a more physical job. Being a trash man, even if you're running a fully automated truck. So even if you're running a fully automated commercial truck where you're maybe only hitting, you know, 50, 50 dumpsters a day or something. Um you are, you're still servicing 50 different people, how many stops and goes and those types of things. And all the stop signs and stoplights and all that that you come to, whereas an over the road trucker, dude, you're hit your brakes maybe three times a day. Right. So like you just set that cruise control on and and you're just rolling. Um, It's a completely different job, but yet you need the same classification to do both. Now, most trash trucks are Class B is all that you need, and 18-wheelers and are Class A. Um, but it's basically the same test. So if anybody does go get their CDL, they typically just get an A. So that way, all they have all the options. Well, as yeah. soon as they have an A, they're going to pull a trailer or they're going over the road, and now they're going to make more money.
1: Wow. Not going to lie, when I heard that, Ninety thousand dollar number. I'm like, I wonder if my local <laughs> trash company, because we only got one where I live. There's, you don't have a choice, but uh, they they are not hiring in my area, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, but it was man, ninety grand to drive a trash truck. That boy, I might I might have to talk to a couple couple people I know, like cousins and stuff, like. You you should look into this for real, like.
0: Yeah, it's a great business, and once you learn it, um, I mean, there's so many people that you know start up their own business and and sell it. the the corporate The corporate guys are basically always buying, so it's not a bad. If you're a hard worker and you're dedicated and you're willing to sacrifice, you know, it's it's just as hard. You know, starting a farm or something. But if you're willing to do it, then it's not a bad option.
1: So let's talk about starting a farm. Uh, so through through your transition here, selling yeah. selling your trash business, um, that led you into permaculture because of the waste, seeing the waste stream. How did you even well, find I, it?
0: Well, I found permaculture a few years, probably a decade or so ago. Um, about the same time that I started the trash business. I got into gardening, sustainable stuff, um, off grid. I think it probably actually started with just me and a buddy that did like some bug out stuff. Just trying, they were in uh, military and I always liked to go um, hiking and different other things and, and was interested in outdoors. And so we kind of built like some bug out bags and did things like that and and just talked about that and like practiced some skills. Um, and then from there, it turned into, I think, just like gardening and dreaming of being off grid and kind of away from the rest of society. And through that, I found permaculture. And that was like the same time I was starting my trash business, just the idea of being st- really independent for work for life for food for everything um and to me i had to keep those separate but you know eventually it all kind of came together where i seen that you could do it um you can just live on the farm teach from the farm that it can all be
1: you know your work so you sold the business and you moved correct
0: yeah that was in a couple of stage um Process, but yeah. So this past November, I actually bought uh, five acres. Three acres is is set up uh, still as an industrial site where I'm actually recycling some shingles, um, asphalt shingles uh, that everybody has on their roof. And then the two acres next door to that is a home site, and that I am setting up as kind of what I believe should be the standard home. This is what it should look like. This is what you should have around your home. Um, and to just show people that how much you can get
1: from a basic home site. So I, we, we keep going into garbage, but I'm curious, how do you recycle shing, like asphalt shingles? Yeah.
0: So there's a few different ways. Um, when I started collecting those and getting into to that industry, um, that was in 2015. And it was after a hailstorm went through uh, the county that I live in and just destroyed every vehicle and everybody's roofs and stuff. So everybody had to get a new roof. I was already hauling shingles and, like I said, wanting to get more into recycling. Um, Well, and I started looking up shingle recycling. I was told that you can recycle them, so I started researching it. And lo and behold, actually went and bought dumpsters from another trash person. Um, and when I was loading them, there was a giant shingle pile in the background. And I was like, man, what is what is that? And so the guy that was loading the dumpsters for me told me that, oh, we recycle shingles over here and so on and so forth. And And told me the whole, like the scoop of the business, you recycle it into asphalt. So they get ground up and they get added back into asphalt roads. Um, and so that's, that was the only approved use in my state um, until last year. And in other states, there is multiple other uses. Um, but in our state, the only thing you can do is mix in with asphalt. Well, the local asphalt companies weren't super interested in doing that. The past few years, they had some you know, just some disinterest. They had some trials before I did it and they didn't go very well. Um, but thankfully, our um, legislators last year actually seen this issue, seen the roadblocks that it was causing and they voted on some changes. And so now in the state of Missouri, shingles are considered clean fill once they've been processed. So meaning that they cl- they're they in the same cladd- um classification or category as rocks, brick, concrete, um, and even asphalt. So you could take an asphalt road, grind it up or take it up, and you can use it as clean fill. And so now shingles are in the same um category as that. So the main thing that I'm looking to do with it myself is actually use it for a little bit of fill in a few spots and then use it to do residential driveways and parking lots and things like that so you you mix it with gravel in
1: it like a lot of shingles i'm sorry go ahead sorry my internet went uh went out for a second um you must go through a lot of shingles to be able to do any sort of driveway or repairs or anything like that that's a lot right
0: yeah you're gonna i mean it's a currently i have a few thousand tons (laughs) <laughs> you know
2: that's so crazy. yeah there's like
0: no wonder there's you need volumes acres. To, to different things
1: you know yeah that's wow that's crazy um
0: but i mean like at like at my trash company i was i was landfilling about a hundred tons a day oh my gosh you know so i'm i'm used to big you know big numbers um like that
1: big volumes Sure, I hear you. So this, this two acre property that uh, you're, you're modeling for like what the average home in America could look like, like how easy it it is, and you know, all these things. So what pa- paint us a picture here? What does that look like? Okay.
0: Um, so I can paint you a, a picture of what I have here on my property. Sure. And so with permaculture, permaculture has zones. Are you familiar with the permaculture zones? Yes. And so the, you know, the the five different zones, we have very little zone five, almost no zone five here on this property. Um, there's like one little strip that I would consider my zone five. But we have a lot of zone two and three. So zone two and three is where that's the, the main bulk of crop production or anything that I sell or have like commercial space, that type of stuff. So I actually have a nursery on site that's here and open to the public on that two acres. Um, so the front wedge corner of my property actually faces one of the busiest roads in my county. And so I have a greenhouse set up right along that road, garden beds, my sign, that kind of stuff. So I have about a quarter acre of the site just designated to my nursery. We have a tiny house. That's the office there. And so it's, um, wildflowers, Missouri native wildflowers, Missouri native trees, um, mostly fruit producing, um, and then vegetables.
1: Very nice. And so
0: we, and so we, I have that space because you know, if you're, trying to build out a farm and you're trying to build up permaculture and and be regenerative you have to have the plants and and nobody else does so we have all of our vegetables are heirloom seeds from Baker's Creek they're all Missouri heirloom seeds mm-hmm. um and then all of our plants are Missouri natives and a lot of those seeds um we actually collected last year by hand from various sites throughout the county so we've hand collected our seeds, hand planted them. We mixed our own soil here on site. It came from a cattle farm for some topsoil and then composted horse manure. And then we mix that on site uh, with local um, wood chips that we mulch and break down also. Uh, so our potting mix is local to us and that we make it. Our seeds are local to us. Our vegetables, you know, our, our um plants all of that stuff fits right in with the permaculture design and so that was one of the first things that we did is you know start that revenue so that we don't have to go off site to make money right people come to us and then with that i can start selling my produce and as this farm grows out and i start to have more and more production on site i now have a market i now have customers. We have a point of sale system. Everything's already functioning to sell the produce and things that we have coming from the farm. Um, When you
1: say we, it's you and who?
0: Well, really that's changed a few different times. There's been a few different people that's kind of been a part of this company. Um, Some close friends um, have been around to help me out. Um, And so there's, we, I guess means a few different people, but no okay,
1: it rotates yeah, there's not
0: like there's not like a wife or a partner, you know, or anything like that,
1: sure, I didn't know if you had a business partner or something uh so yeah, I was just curious, so you're you're just taking uh you're running the show, but taking uh helping hands where they where they show up, I guess whenever Absolutely. they show up I see, I see um nice, that's very cool. what is your What's your history prior to like, like finding like permaculture and stuff? Like, did you like have a garden, like your parents have a garden growing up? Grandparents, anything like that?
0: No, my parents never gardened. Um, my grandmother on my mom's side was houseplants. She had a lot of house plants inside and things, but I never really got into that. Um, I had gardens. I had gardens while I had my trash business. I always wanted to garden. And so I um, started doing it, I guess, seven, eight years ago now is when I put in my first garden.
1: So you had learned learned a little bit of like about permaculture and then started trying your hand at gardening and just got better and better over the years. And then opportunity was right. Sold your trash business, got into starting your own nursery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's because I'm, was still learning the permaculture world and I'm actually still completing my permaculture design certificate. Oh, Um, yeah. And so I'm doing Jeff Lawton's online class for that right now. And I was like, listen, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, so I can't like go to work for anybody else and I don't want to move and there's no permaculture farms around here, you know, so it's not like I can go. So like, all right, I'm going to start this thing that we have now. And how that got started as lawn to yard is I had a friend of mine that had a lawn care company and he wanted to sell it or change it. He, he needed a change in his life. And I was consulting for him to build his business up to sell it. This was the year after I sold my business and we worked together for about three months And I I just got to think about it. the team I had with me, a couple of people that were working with me at that time, we went to a trade show in Kentucky for the lawn care industry. And I'm like, man, there's way more people here than there ever was at any of the trash shows that I was at. But yet there's nothing as expensive. This, this industry is full of mom and pop business. They're like the most expensive thing here was a truck you know, a, a big like box truck that came with all the racks and the gear and everything to load out your mowers and stuff. And it was 90 grand, 90 grand's a lot of money, but not when you're used to listen, man, I, I can't walk out of here for less than 175. Like if I buy the cheapest thing at the trash show, it's 175. Mm-hmm. The most expensive thing at the mowing shows 90. And I'm like, well, this is a different world. This is exactly the stuff I want to do. Mom and pop business, um, and, and, a way lower entry point, you know, on asset. Um, and so I talked to my buddy and I was like, Hey, what if we just applied my permaculture ideas and my understanding and my history to residential homes, your customers that you already have with your lawn care? What if we just talk to them about getting rid of their lawn? and add more garden space. And we'll just reduce our mowing costs. You know, we'll slowly but surely have a, you know, multi-year contract with these customers, reduce the amount we're actually mowing and increase the benefit that this yard is producing to the homeowner. And everybody liked the idea. So we, uh, we, we did that. And so me and him worked together for six months of last year. Um, but after the six months, we really just learned that he actually did want to focus more on the mowing. And I did not want to have really anything to do with mowing. And I wanted to focus more on gardening and installing permaculture stuff. And so it wasn't quite the marriage that we thought that was going to be between these two kind of ideas. And so we went ahead and separated the business. I kept lawn to yard and and just continued to focus on it um, as permaculture and and helping people. And so that's basically what I do now is people call or they they schedule an interview um, or a time for me to come out to their house. I go out there, look at what they're doing, talk to them, learn their hopes and fears and goals and that and then recommend plants, um, design some things for them or even do the work. Also,
1: man, that sounds like a great pivot for for somebody to take over like a lawn care business and then shift it almost to like landscaping slash like management, more or less. Right. Um, Like a resource manager, you could say. Um, How many clients do you have for. For your uh, lawn to yard.
0: Quite a few. And so we're just kind of getting into like a monthly type service or where they're a member, right? And so there's only a handful, a couple handfuls of those, uh, probably about 10 10 to 12, like permanent solid customers that were there on a regular basis. Um, And then we have had dozens more that filter in. That, you know, we might go and, and only do one or two things for that customer and we haven't went back yet. Um, but then we have a couple of customers, like I said, that 10 to 12 that were there almost every month. And I can tell you that that 10 to 12 customers that you're supposed to be at every month well, that will keep you busy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I've I've heard of something, something similar, a guy, um, oh man, what is it? Easy peasy gardens or something like that that's he also has a podcast but he's over in um I think it's Ohio he does something similar he basically like maintains people's gardens for them uh I think he does the weeding does like he helps the them plant sometimes they would just want like him to do all the work do the do the planting do the weeding do the whatever and some of them want to like work alongside him like basically like a hired teacher you know, like, yep. Is this a weed? Can I pull this? No, that's not a weed. Like you're going to want to like save this. It may look like a weed, but you can use it for this or that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's super cool. What, what kind of like, if someone wanted to do something like this, like what kind of like monthly rates are you charging for people that like show up every month?
0: Well, so the, the easiest way I can tell anybody that wants a copy um this idea and my whole idea with this is that when i do get it all figured out i can easily franchise it um and because i i think that this type of work is going to be a lot more popular in the future it's easy there's so many people that are interested in it and it's needed um and again you only need 10 or 12 people really to keep you busy and and to you know um with that, so it, it really is. But, um, and so it it, we charge a few different rates, I guess. And so I can break that down for you. So, what we do is a couple of standard um, prices, and then we have kind of just a sign up or a membership fee, and that is just a fee to put you on the books. We're gonna think about you. We're gonna talk about you we're going to talk to you at times just like you know there's a reservation fee just to take a spot and you know within the company and -hmm. then that covers like me going out initially meeting with the people building a design something like that um and so we do that by the year or by the month so we charge it for a year it's 200 bucks by the month it's 20 bucks and with bad. that, not bad at all. You're you're on our you're on our books. Um, you also, and since we have the nursery, we give a discount to any of our members. So if you if you are a member, you get ten percent off at our nursery. So if you're buying plants, you're we're doing some stuff. If we're if you're buying garden soil from us and and potting mix and those things, you really quickly get that two hundred bucks back a year. Um, And so that's what we charge. Now that doesn't come with any service other than the initial like consultation and design plan. And then you can text us anytime you want with any questions you have. Um, And then we go into labor rates or planting rates and those types of things. So then we have like, you know, six different services that we offer. um, Where we offer native tree planting. And so that has a a price to it if we do like our raised beds they have certain prices we build cedar raised beds and so we have a price that if you come here and pick them up it's this price if we bring them to you and install it it's this price
1: Man, and so that's getting like a whole lot of like different facets of like kind of like all these little add-ons you know like 10 percent off you know stuff in the nursery like providing you plants like that's a nice that's a nice upsell the cedar raised beds that's a nice upsell this is this is awesome i love this
0: yeah well and that's the thing like you know if i was if i was just doing the landscaping side there's nowhere i can go to buy the plants i want right right and so it's yeah. like well okay i gotta solve that problem um well nobody has raised cedar garden beds that i can go get So if if I have customers that want raised beds, I have to build them, but I can't go to the store and buy cedar. So it's like, well, so now I'm just buying cedar straight from a milling company and and we're just making them ourselves. And then some, you know, in this industry, what I found is that you either get customers that want to be kind of hands off. And so they want you to do as much of it as possible, or they want to do as much of it as possible and they kind of want just some instruction and some help and some guidance and somebody they can ask questions to.
1: Right. They need kind of like a, just a, like a single person that they trust that they can go to with questions instead of like doing a Google search, trying to figure it out. Like, no, that doesn't work in your area. You kind of do it this way, but they didn't know that. And so like the whole thing's like screwed up or yeah. Yep, and so what I do
0: is just put it together. We make the plan. We figure out, yeah, some raised beds would be good. You need some dirt. I can sell you the dirt. I can bring the dirt. I can bring the raised beds. I can put it all together for you if you want me to. So what we we offer? Go
1: ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, why don't you finish your thought, and I'll ask ask my next question.
0: Uh, So one of the things I tell customers is that we offer everything from the design right to the materials, to the actual work of installing the design and the materials.
1: So what has not worked? What? So like you're, I mean, you're almost a year into this. Is that mm-hmm. is that about right? Yep. Um, so what has not worked so far? Trying to tell anybody
0: that they need to go native or that they need gardens and those types of things.
1: Can you expand on that?
0: Yeah. So I don't sell people on permaculture. I don't sell people on natives. I'm not pushy. I I don't tell anybody they need to do this. If What doesn't work is when you tell somebody what they need to do. Um, so if you go to a house and they have a very traditional lawn and everything's, you know, cut and, and manicured and all that. Yeah, that's not my customer. I'm not going to spend any time here telling you what you should be doing or anything like that. So I don't know if that, that's something that, that we learned kind of through my business partner, you know, when we started the companies, he was, and and still is very much a people pleaser. And so he will go, he will do above and beyond for his customers. If they ask, he'll do things way outside of his scope of work uh, to please a customer. And in, in my experience, what I have found is that the best way for me to please a customer is to stay within inside my scope of work, stay within what I can do and what I can do efficiently and
1: what I can do well. So you have that narrow focus and you're not trying to like get distracted by trying to do something. I can see that every,
0: every time I've grabbed something that's kind of right outside, I end up regretting it.
1: Can you give an example?
0: Uh, Sure. So I have a customer right now who we're doing a bunch of gardening and like native plants for, and, and planning some of that stuff out. But then she had a deck and it's a standard face of the, of the front of her deck and, and around the other sides that just had that white uh, lattice you know, fencing stuff up and she hated it. She wanted regular real wood up. Well, I mean, I got saws, I got screw guns. I can build things, you know, I'm not a carpenter by any means, but yeah, I can can do that. So she asked, she was like, hey, would you be able to do this for me? Yeah, of course I can. And we did do it, but a project that should have taken me a half a day is what I was expecting. When you get there and you start working on it, well nothing's square nothing's true and it's like hey this is a little more complicated you know to solve all these little problems and so it ended up taking like two and a half days right to to finish this project and it it would have taken me one whole day if i would have gotten just to focus on it but because it just threw up wrinkles and it was off of the normal list i didn't i didn't have the right tools in the truck and you know all of that stuff, it's just like, oh, this is why you don't do things that you don't do. Like you just move forward. So if I'm going to plant plants or trees, we know what we need. We throw every tool of that in the truck and then you just,
1: you know, you just go. Right. You, you can stick to being a specialist instead of a generalist. Yes. And so like today
0: it it rained here and I built a greenhouse. I I have another customer that ordered a, a 10 by 20 greenhouse well i built that this afternoon
1: oh nice! in my
0: shop and so it's just like okay so i can build a good structure and and you know get some value out of a half a day of my time woodworking but not on site at a customer's house doing you know doing a deck or something like that
1: no that makes that makes a lot of sense that and then it makes it easier to say no also that you it's like i I'm just not set up to do that. Sorry. Like, Hey, can you, you know, also blah, 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 blah. Like I know a guy that can do that, but it's not me. Exactly. You, just, you can just refer people and just, just say no. Like if you're, if you've got plenty of work to do, you're like, you're not, you know, if you're not starving to make ends meet. Yeah. You can say no to things. Or if you do have to say yes to things, charge more for it because it's out of your scope of work like and just and if maybe the price tag will uh turn them off but but if it doesn't at least you got well paid uh paid well for for that extra work i suppose yeah yeah
0: and i mean that's and that's that's true
1: no yeah. other other ways to to pivot and do little uh do little upsells what's the What's the biggest challenge in starting your own nursery?
0: Well, there's been a few. Um, There's so much learning, right? Um, I don't know if I could put any of them specifically to this nursery uh, necessarily. That may not be true for anybody else. In my in my experience, like in the trash business, I've so I've owned companies, I have experience, I would think that it would be maybe easier for me versus somebody who's never done it before. But I was so used to the trash industry and I grew up in it and I knew like how to run it, how to make a profitable route, just like in general. And when you're starting a nursery, at least for me, I had to like and still am relearning so much of what I have known for the majority of my life about the trash industry. How many sales do you have to have? What's your cost in these things? How long do they last? Like, what size of pots should you plant certain things in to determine the growth rate to sale date? You know, and so some of the stuff we've had to up pot twice, because we've started it so early, and then it outgrew, you know, the the cells that we grew it in. And so just getting more aware of of those things, um, getting the plants and the, like the watering situation, how are you going to water everything all hooked up and and set up. So to me, it was just building the infrastructure, and then understanding at what level you should scale it.
1: How large are you trying to scale it? Um, So right now the one
0: greenhouse we have is about 15 foot wide by a hundred foot long. And so that is, and it's lined with plants down the center and down both sides. so there's probably five, we carry about five, 6,000 plants at a time. Uh, so it's quite a few. Um, but honestly, I could use a second greenhouse. Uh, because we have so much that's like starting constantly. And then so much that's like growing. And then also, especially this year, there's so much that I plan on putting on my own property. Right. So 6,000 plants sounds like a lot until you're like, well, yeah, but I have, I I might have 300 cauliflower plants or something, you know, or 200 cauliflower plants because I'm going to plant, you know, say 50 here at my house. And then I'm going to sell 50 in the next two weeks. And then I'm going to sell another 100 in the two weeks after that. And so it sounds like you have right, a lot of space, right. but as soon as you start having two and 300 of every plant you have, your, your space fills up real quick.
1: How did you decide to do Missouri native heirloom plants? Just like, just to get down to like that, that niche, like people that are really into gardening or They're going to want, you know, heirloom variety, native if they can get it. Just, you know, to like, did you see like a market need or? Well, it was more, what works the best.
0: Right. And so, so the heirloom are not native. The heirloom are the, all the vegetables. And those did come, they are heirloom from Missouri from one farm. Okay. So there's a Baker's Creek. Here, they're a massive seed producer and they're from the original farm. It's over a hundred years old that they have been farming and collecting the seeds from that farm. Um, and so we just buy all of our, all of our vegetable seeds from them. Okay. Uh, heirloom seeds are, you know, in my opinion, the best seeds to have for vegetables. Um, and so, and a lot of other people agree with that too so i wanted to grab that have that and then the missouri natives because they interact with nature the best right and so soil uh, i am a certified uh, uh regenerative agricultural from um gabe brown the soil health academy
1: uh school the name sounds familiar yeah yeah
0: um And so Ray Archuleta, Gabe Brown, Shane New, those guys, and I think there was one more, they put together that group, the Soil Health Academy. And I did that in 22, 21, I guess uh, the winter of 21, 22. Um, And so you learn a lot about soil there and you have to have native plants for soil. And that's what creates the microbe relationships and the mycorrhizal fungi. And just the interaction with the soil, the native plant roots are way deeper than, you know, an exotic or a perennial, or I'm sorry, you know, an annual plant. And so region ag teaches a lot about natives and wildflowers and the benefits that that has bringing in the bees and the beneficial insects. And permaculture talks a lot about that also. And so to me, it was like, wait a minute, there's so many natives that produce food or that have medicinal properties. Once you start looking at those, let me take the permaculture design principles and really focus those on natives. And so it was kind of, for me, it was a a,
1: a mix of those two uh, goals. We had, man, this was many episodes ago we did a episode of the men's forum where we were talking about heirloom varieties and what we came, we kept coming back to was that that seeds have memory. So if you have a seed from a certain area that let's say is 200 years old, well, it has 200 seasons worth of memory that like that it could handle like like let's say once in a hundred year kind of like freeze event or extra rain or super dry or one of those like just just wild weather uh situations that could tolerate it could survive because it's got the memory from the area exactly
0: i mean natives are, are really the only ones that have anything or you know the heirlooms like that um So one of the really cool features about that is, for example, milkweed. So milkweed is the, you know, that's the host plant for the monarch butterfly. And so that's where, that's the only food source that monarchs eat. That's the only spot that they lay their eggs. Um, So they have to have milkweed. There's multiple different kinds of milkweed, but they have to have milkweed. But, The milkweed blooms, um, basically based off of the range that it's in. So if you took a Texas milkweed and took it to Michigan, that seed, that plant is not going to know that it's in Michigan, that seed, like you just said, has a memory and it's going to bloom on Texas time, right? It's not going to bloom on Michigan time. Um, well, what happened, there's no monarchs there. There's nobody there for the plant when it's supposed to be getting accessed by monarchs because the monarchs are still in Texas. So you can't have even even milkweed that's native through the whole Midwest. You can't move it. It has to be a local milkweed for it to actually work in your site the way you want it to. And that's true yes. for all plants.
1: I'm assuming that the monarchs are also their time is on when things are blooming in the in various states, like as it goes, as they go north or south or whichever direction that they're traveling, that they know when and where the milkweed's blooming. Correct. Gotcha. Gotcha
0: nice. And so yeah, just kind of like learning these different pieces of data, it's like hey, we got to be kind of focused. Like it seems like if you're not if you're not focused, you could be wasting your time. So why not just focus and make sure that everything's
1: as local as possible. Right. So what's the best part about starting your own nursery or gardening or or homesteading whatever? Whatever it is, uh, what are, what's your favorite parts? The customers. Why is that?
0: The, cu- the customers for sure. It's just so much different than what I'm used to. Um, with the trash business, you had so many customers. I mean, thousands and thousands, you, you literally, you could not know all of them. Um, but it is such a cheap service, right. For what you do that you have to have thousands, you know, like you're running a trash route. If you're even the smallest trash route I had, my goal was 200 stops, you know, minimum 200 a day. Sure. And, and so, man, you can't interact. You know, if you're serving 200 people a day, I can't spend more than a few seconds with you. And it's not like people are outside at their trash can all the time. You, and I definitely... Don't I'm have just waiting to talk
1: up. to you.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah, there's some, but, you know. Um, and so, and then the only time you do talk to your customers is when there's a problem. Because that's the only time anybody cares about their trash is when it's not been picked up other than that, right. it's out of mind. And so, so now, you know, so many of the conversations you have are negative and the customers, they don't respect the trash man. Um, so you're talked down to a lot. Sure. Um, and so a completely different experience And now I'm viewed as like an educator and I'm helping people. And so, that's been really the biggest change is that I'm meeting people and I'm getting to spend a lot of time with them. And I'm changing the property around their home for them, for their family. It is now producing food. It's a way more intimate relationship. And it's something that I've been able to feel more proud of and more value by doing. And I get to build a bond. And I can tell you, I I've had many customers that have came here and offered to volunteer or are volunteering. None of my customers never volunteered to go run the trash (laughs) route for me. You know, that didn't happen.
1: Right. Oh man. That's kind of funny. Yeah. They, it's just, it's one of those things like, like trash pickup is like, it's a necessity and they want it as cheap as possible in like, which i i'm i'm no different right so we right. we uh we put out our trash like cuz I'm cheap once a month 190 whatever you said 90 gallon 60 gallon I don't know the size uh trash can a month for our little family of four cuz I didn't want to pay an extra $20 a month to have them pick it up every week so yep um yeah but i got i don't i don't try to I don't get mad about the mad at the trash guys. Like it's try we. The hardest part is really to remember which day of the month you're going to put your trash out on the curb. Uh, like we try to make it the last, the last whatever Tuesday of the month or whatever whatever the day is. Just make that the day, but sometimes. You forget and then it has to roll into the next month. And like, oh, dang it. Now we're like, our trash is like super full. <laughs> How are we going to, like, then we call up the neighbors. Hey, can we put some of our trash in your can? Because <laughs> they get theirs picked up every week where we just, I don't know. We, we compost a lot. We, we've got like a burn barrel for like papers and just, I don't know, thick cardboard, I guess. And I don't know. I suppose that I could be doing more with it than. Than that but you're probably like shake your finger at me like no no don't <laughs> don't be burning your paper you can use that
0: but I mean I think that there's a cost you know to everything and th- what I here's what I learned about recycling as soon as you have to transport the material you're not you're not really doing any positive. Sure. Because the resource that you're spending the re, the resources that you are consuming and spending to save a resource is not above the value of that resource. Or I'm sorry, the cost of the resources that you're using is above the value that you're getting back out of the one thing that you're saving. You know, and actually, permaculture. Jeff Lawton, and I remember watching a video, and and he was talking about um, earthworks and about using machinery, tractors, dozers. You know, and he was like, "Well, yeah, I the concept of permaculture basically is that we shouldn't have these things, but but we do, we do have them. Like, and so if you don't use them, that's wasting the resource that you have. You're going to let it sit there and rot." Well, but think of all the work that's went into it, all the effort, all the technology, all these, you know, to make this dozer and we're just going to park it. Well, you know, like, come on, let's use that one until it's dead and then we don't have to make any more. Um, But use what we have. So it just like changed as a balance of if it makes sense, use it. If it doesn't, don't. And honestly, man, you're going to put your you're gonna put that paper in another, they're going to, if you signed up with your trash company with recycling, like if they offered it, they're going to bring you another trash can. They're going to pick it up on another day in another truck and pay another guy $90,000 a year. They're not going to make any money off recycling. The only way they make any money is off landfilling stuff. So now they're going to have to landfill more to offset the cost of this recycling. It's just like, yeah, we're not doing anything here. You know how much paper you'd have to recycle to offset the expense of another trash truck? You know, like it just, <laughs> yeah. it does not make
1: sense. That's a, that's a perspective I have not heard before. That's uh yeah, I could see that. I could see that a lot. And then the paper,
0: one of the really cool things that I like about like the carbon um, that we have in the atmosphere and stuff, that's an issue. Um, is that... Um, it was funny. It was this the idea came from a spark of an Alex Jones comment that he made one time that I seen, and he was discrediting climate change, and um, and he did so by saying that the carbon emissions the last time that they were this high they were and they were much higher during one of the dinosaur times, right? But um, he talked about how much bigger the plants were, that was the point he was making high carbon in atmosphere over the history of time has led to to just larger plants. And he kind of went off and the thing was over but um, but that that concept kind of like stuck with me. And what I look at now and what most, I think, homesteaders and permaculturists and scientists and stuff can say is that permaculture and local farming and region farming is like what we need to solve climate change. And we need to suck the carbon back out of the atmosphere. And the best thing to do that is with plants. And then other people will talk about that we don't have we don't have the time for like regenerative farming practices because we have such a demand for food, right? And our population so high that we have to get these factory farms out. We have to do this. We have to do that. But it's like, well, the carbons in the atmosphere that the plants need to solve the food crisis that we have now because of our population. So, if we haven't, if we would not have pumped as much carbon into the atmosphere as we have done for the last 120 years, it, we would not have such a great opportunity to farm and to pull that carbon back out. The reason why our forest and so much of our stuff can do so well in the perceived future is the amount of carbon we have in the atmosphere that they have it to pull from. So it's kind of yeah. a blessing if we use it. The carbon in the atmosphere is a resource to the, to the next 20, 30 years of trees and plants and things that we want to grow. Or if we do nothing and continue to factory farm, it's going to be a problem.
1: You'll, you'll. Oh, there, I'm back. You'll get a kick out of this. Um, so I work for a fiber optic company. It's not for internet. It's for mon- like data, data acquisition. And what we do, part of what we do is we run alongside, uh, well drilling for carbon capture project projects. And I was just on a job in Wyoming, brand new carbon capture. Well, and just today I saw the price, the total price of the well, like total, total cost of the install for all the parts and pieces to be there seven and a half million dollars. How many plants could we plant for seven and a half million dollars? If your nursery was given seven and a half million dollars, I bet you could put out a lot of plants. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's issues with it anyways. So, uh, I'm not even sure if it's hundred percent usable, but that remains to be seen. So that's just shake my head, <laughs> do my job, I guess. But like in that sense, you can put dollars and cents
0: to it, right? Whereas if you say, Hey, I'm going to give me 7 million bucks, say that to investors, say that to a bank, say it to whoever you want to say that to, um, if you say I'm gonna build a forest, right? Like, well, okay, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna get my money back? But you say I'm gonna I'm gonna build a well, and then probably that well has the carbon credits. Yes. And then you can sell those carbon credits, and then you you're gonna make you're gonna make a million bucks a year for the next 20 years. Whereas a forest doesn't carry the same weight into a, a government, even though it's even though it's sucking more carbon into the soil and storing it in a much better way, there's no carbon credits for it. So our economy has not put a dollar amount associated with that yet. And so there's no way to value it to bankers, to investors, to anyone, and there's no way to sell the value of it. Even though we can all see it and agree. It's just
1: if that was economy the economy level. Yeah, if that was the true goal, was the carbon? Which is it? I don't know. Probably doesn't doesn't seem like it is. Doesn't seem like the carbon is actually the goal. Uh, looking at it that way, because then yeah, just plant a bunch of trees, make everything look nicer. You wouldn't have this monstros. Well, let's see. It's the well, like the well. Well drilling's up now, but eventually it goes away, and it's just like this little tree in the middle. Like like they call it a tree. It's like just like a little pump thingy sticking up in the middle of a, sticking up in the middle of the field somewhere in Wyoming. So it's man, seven, it just blew my mind just how much money is is in this stuff just for one little one little carbon capture well.
0: <laughs> right, but I would imagine I mean, but there's more than that on revenue. If there's seven and a half being spent, there's probably right. fifteen in revenue coming from somewhere in the next twenty years, right? So where where's the fifteen coming from? And then how do we just get you know how does anyone just get that to qualify, you know, for something? Yeah, I don't um, get
1: the value. Like what what are they putting the value on? Like it just the it just doesn't the back end just does not make sense to me at all. Um, it.
0: cause I know like, uh, a local landfill, uh, cause landfills have those, um, carbon and methane pipes and stuff that they'll pipe out of the landfill and then they have a little torch and they burn it. Right. Sometimes if you have a landfill, that's old enough, has the right gas, they can pipe that, uh, the methane into compressed natural gas. And then you sure. can actually, you can get compressed natural gas trucks and run them on that. And so that's been a better use of, you know, the methane, um, but not not super common yet. But this landfill that I toured, they they actually received carbon credits for what they did with their landfill gas in an excess, because they also got fined, right, for being a landfill. But the carbon <laughs> credits offset that fine. Plus, they sold. I, I, I I'm pretty sure he said over a hundred thousand a year that they sold in carbon credits out. And I mean, and that's just paper. What is going and, on? And so, a company like maybe that well that you're talking about has these carbon credits that are all worth, I don't know what their number is, let's say 10,000 a piece. And you can just transfer those. So like at my waste company, I could buy carbon credits from somebody else. And then they just send me a certificate, I send that in, and then I get credit. And so it's all on paper, none of it's actually real, none of it's tangible. But that's the way the tax system is currently set up with these carbon credits. So that well is probably worth a whole bunch of money just that's because crazy. there's a paper trail with it. That's crazy.
1: We have installed fiber in landfills before for monitoring services like temperature and like, um, like strain or seismic stuff. So, man, that is a corrosive environment. Like it, it destroyed some of our equipment. It was bad.
0: I mean, it's everything. It's everything that's ever existed mixed together.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, <laughs> wrapping up here. Yeah. What would you tell people that want to start their own nursery, grow their own trees, or uh, grow their own trees and sell their own trees and other plants? I would say get started.
0: Get Just started start. soon. Get start now. Yeah, because you're gonna fail, so don't don't worry about that. Like that's part of it. Don't you're gonna fail every day. That's part of learning. Um, one of the things that I like to say that this is something I've realized that I've came up with and that I continue to to preach basically to anybody that I meet or know and and help is that um, only in school did the test come last and the lesson first in, in every other aspect of life, at least that I've experienced, the test comes first and then you build the lesson out of how well you did on the test. And so, yeah, yeah, just start, just try something, you know, grow, grow a plant and put it for sale. We have social media, put it on marketplace, you know, do something local. Um, and just continue to try and continue to, to just ask the question of, well, what worked and what didn't work and then come up with a new idea to try and then just keep, keep going. Um, but there's, there's so many wonderful garden clubs that you can participate in and join. Um, I would, I'd recommend anybody that has a local wild ones group um they focus yep they focus on natives i believe they're a, a nationwide organization there's multiple groups around me uh and i'm a member of of some but yeah wild ones
1: garden club is a great place to start excellent so tell people where they can find you you uh your website Social media, all of that. I'll have links for all this in uh in the show notes. But you're on you're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, I'm assuming.
0: Yep. Yep. We are on all the social medias as lawn to yard Uh YouTube, Patreon, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of those are active under lawn to yard. Our website, lawntoyard.com. You can research
1: on on there. Um, and that's, that's us. Awesome. Thank you, Kenny. This has been a blast. I learned a lot today. Matt,
0: thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, I've enjoyed being on this podcast. I've listened to a few others uh, in preparation for this, and I've enjoyed all the ones that I listened to. And, and I think
1: that you're a wonderful host and thank you for your time. Thanks, man. It was really good to meet you. Good to meet you. I am Matt Derosia of Farm Hop Life. Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and visit farmhoplife.com.
2: Inside of the city, the people are crazy, out of their minds. They ain't got a clue. We gone away, headed west for Montana. Left family and friends all. both got new jobs, a host and a homestead, thinking this was the life, all that there'd be. After our first barn, you had to stay home. That's when the work got in the way for me. Well, I started farm hop life. and an RV. Send us a message and